Morning, church. Uh, unfortunately, you're just stuck with me today. My wife and children are still in London. They'll be uh, coming in a couple of weeks once the school year finishes over there. Uh, but for now, it's just me. We're going to read our passage for this morning. It's Isaiah 49. If you have a, a Bible, you're welcome to turn there. Otherwise, it is in the bulletin. You can follow along there. Church, hear the word of the Lord. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. And he made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due to me is the Lord is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, to gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribe of Jacob, and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says. The Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who is despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers, kings will see you and stand up, princes will see and bow down, because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. But this is what the Lord says, In the time of my favor I will answer you, and in the day of salvation I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people to restore the land and reassign its desolate inheritances. To say to the captives, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. They will feed beside the roads and find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat down on them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. I will turn all my mountains into roads and my highways will be raised up. See, they will come from afar, some from the north, some from the west, some from the region of Aswan. Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. For the Lord confronts his people, comforts his people, and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Your children hasten back, and those who laid you waste depart from you. Lift up your eyes and look around. All your children gather and come to you as surely as I live, declares the Lord. You will wear them all as ornaments. You will put them on like a bride. 
Though you were ruined and made desolate, and your land laid waste, now you will be too small for your people, and those who devoured you will be far away. The children born during your bereavement will yet say in your hearing, This place is too small for us. Give us more space to live in. Then you will say in your heart, Who bore me these? I was bereaved and barren. I was exiled and rejected. Who brought these up? I was left all alone, but these, where have they come from? This is what the Sovereign Lord says. See, I will beckon to the nations. I will lift up my banner to the peoples, and they will bring your sons in their arms and carry your daughters on their hips. Kings will be your foster fathers, and their queens your nursing mothers. They will bow down before you with their faces to the ground. They will lick the dust at your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. Can plunder be taken from warriors, or captives be rescued from the fierce? Well, this is what the Lord says. Yes, captives will be taken from warriors and plunder retrieved from the fierce. I will contend with those who contend with you. And your children I will save. I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh. They will be drunk on their own blood as with wine. Then all mankind will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Pray with me. Father, as we come before your word this morning, would your spirit open our eyes, open our hearts, to hear what you would say to us. Be with us this morning. Amen. It's July 4th. Uh, it's Independence Day. And while I'm not going to be uh, mentioning America much in this sermon, I thought I would at least give it a nod in this way. I've been doing a lot of driving uh, around the southeast, Georgia, Tennessee, over to North Carolina, and I've been listening to the soundtrack to Hamilton, uh, some musical. It's all about the, the uh, Revolutionary War and the Founding Fathers, Alexander Hamilton in particular. And in the, at least in the, the, the play, uh, Hamilton is this character that is driven by a need uh, to establish a legacy. He, he comes from humble origins, and so he wants to prove himself in the war. And then he wants to build these systems of government and these financial systems that will, that will create a name for himself, that he'll be remembered for these things. But his passion for legacy, at, at least at one point, leads him to nearly sacrifice his marriage and his family just for the sake of trying to preserve it. Well, our ambitions may not be uh, so grand, but perhaps on a much smaller scale, we ask ourselves similar questions. We're asking ourselves, am I able to leave something behind for my children, for my grandchildren? Am I doing something that is worthwhile with my life? How will I be remembered? Now, at best, those kinds of questions can, can be helps to us. They can help us to, to work well and to work hard. But at worst, it can either leave us self-absorbed, expressing that self in sort of narcissistic and domineering ways as we try and, we try and force our will on those around us, or on the other side, it can leave us feeling small and insignificant and unimportant. 
I expect for many of us, we might waffle between the two of those as we try and figure out uh, what it is that we are supposed to do. Well, our passage this morning talks about legacy as well, but it's talking about the legacy of the faithful servant that God, is, that God has promised and prophesied about in Isaiah. And I believe that this legacy, this legacy of the servant, it, it gives us the perspective that we need for our own lives. And it gives us a promise. So whether you are consumed with trying to create a name for yourself today, or you're worrying that you will be forgotten or insignificant, there's hope for us here today. But since I'm jumping into the middle of Isaiah, I, I, thought we could, I could just give a little bit of context as to uh, our passage, where it falls. So at this point in Israel's history, it's been divided into two kingdoms. There's the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the first half of the book of Isaiah, it, it looks at uh, God's promised judgment on the nations. And then included in the nations is God's promised judgment on the northern kingdom and their eventual uh, exile as they are conquered by the nations around them. And then it looks forward to the time that the southern kingdom will also be conquered and sent into exile. But then the second half of Isaiah, where our passage is, it kind of starts at chapter 40 and goes through the end. Uh, it, it's one, one pastor described it kind of like a letter uh, that has been written and then sealed up. It's like if you, if you remember at school, sometimes a teacher would have you write a letter to your future self. Seal it up and say, open at graduation or something like that. Usually we don't have uh, wonderful wise words for our future selves, but here we have God's word to his people in the future. The second half of Isaiah is the words that God is giving to his people when they find themselves in exile, enslaved. We find that they're words of hope and encouragement. They promise restoration. And they promise this coming faithful servant, that what they look forward to as the Messiah. So this was very real hope in this passage, spoken to people without hope. And they saw a limited fulfillment of this as they returned to the land 70 years later. But 700 years after that, the people of Israel were still waiting for the final fulfillment of this passage. They knew that this faithful servant the one that we've been reading about, the one that's going to bring glory to God, that He hasn't come yet until Jesus steps on the scene. They have been waiting for this faithful servant to, to arrive, and we are fortunate enough to live on this side of Jesus, which means that, that the, we look at the promises that have been made in our passage and we can see their fulfillment, and we can find the hope that they bring. And the first of the hopes that we find in this passage is hopes for freedom for an enslaved people. Through the, the mighty works of God, we see that He is freeing His people from slavery. But, but not as one who just sort of throws open the doors and says, Go, be free! Rather, He is a leader. Who as he opens the doors of the prison, he says, come follow me. 
follow me and I'm leading them in a direction. I'm leading them towards his kingdom. Look at uh, verses 10 and 11 in our passage where uh, he says, second half of verse 10, He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. He says, I will turn all my mountains into roads and my highways will be raised up. There's an author, James K.A. Smith, he, he talks about this kind of idea in a book called On the Road with St. Augustine. He talks about this idea of how many of us go through this period of desiring the freedom of the open road. I don't know if this tracks with any of your stories, but you may grow up in a certain way under certain rules and restrictions, and when you get to that age where you have that freedom, you say, thank goodness. It's time for me to live a little bit. I want to be out on the road. I want to be forging my own way. We want freedom from restrictions. We want to be able to choose the direction that we're going in. And that really can feel exciting until we find that we have just placed ourselves in bondage once again. I mean, there may be many ways that this is already a familiar story to you or to someone that you love, someone that you know. In a desire to escape oppressive rules, you find yourself now in bondage and slavery to, to pornography, to, to drink, to drugs. You think you're escaping the prison and now you find yourself weighed down by other chains. Well, friends, Jesus offers us freedom and hope in addiction, and I would love to talk to you more about that after the service, if that's something you'd like to talk about. But right now, I want to focus on ways that are less obvious, but just as dangerous. Because we can easily find ourselves in chains that are culturally acceptable. We can find ourselves and our lives driven by the pursuit of money or driven by the pursuit of the status symbols of the community in which we live. We, we even act this out on our children as well. Like we, we pursue, as we pursue their, their lives consumed by sports or by academic achievements. Sometimes we're chasing dreams that we have for ourselves that didn't, weren't fulfilled. We chase them for our children. But the picture that the Lord presents through Isaiah is one of calling people out of the bondage that they find themselves in and calls them with purpose and with direction. We are called as his people to follow his roads and the highways that we read about in, in verses 10 and 11. So, so here's maybe a helpful way to try and diagnose your freedom. Say, how, how free am I actually right now? Because worse than the chains of bondage that we can see are those that are invisible to us. So here's, here's a question, a question you can ask yourself. What is it that sparks my jealousy? Like where and when do you get that, that little feeling of anger or regret and when is it that you say, oh, how great! But in your head you're thinking, oh, please stop talking about it. You know, someone gets a new job, or your neighbor gets a, a new truck, or someone else's kid gets chosen for the travel team over yours. Someone makes the honor roll. 
in our context, in the context of our passage for Israel, they were jealous of the other gods of the nations because the other gods of the nations said, we'll give you exactly what you want. You offer the right kind of sacrifices and worship to us, and you can have whatever it is you want. Fertility, good crops, rain when you need it, etc., etc. They were jealous after those things. God's been very clear about that earlier in Isaiah, but there's another theme that is carried on throughout Isaiah, and, and it's this. We have jealousy towards others and towards the things that we desire, but God has a jealousy as well. He is jealous for his people. He calls his servant, this faithful servant that we've been reading about in chapter 49, and he tells them, he tells him that you will be honored and you are going to bring honor and glory to me by bringing my people back to me. They've been, they've been chasing that freedom and now they're enslaved. We're going to bring my people back. The Lord is building his own legacy. And it's an impressive one. He, he's bringing his people back to him even though as in the eyes of the world around him they would say, look, we've conquered you, we've destroyed your cities, we've enslaved you, what that means? That means your God is weak, and He's not worth following, He's not worth serving. But God says no. He says, yes, you were enslaved, you were taken away, the cities were destroyed, that was a consequence of the sin as you chased after idolatry, but I am powerful and in control, and I will bring you back. But it doesn't end there. Because why are we sitting here today? If the promise ended there, we are not sitting here today reading about these promises. Because it is not just to bring his people, his people Israel back. He said that's too easy a thing for him to do. As his faithful servant comes, he said, listen, you, yes, you can bring the people of Israel back, but that's too easy. I have a better job for you. I have a bigger job for you. And that is to be a light to the nations. Why? So that his salvation will reach to the very end of the earth. Right? This is not just a restoration project. This is an expansion project. More on that in a bit. For now, it's enough for us to see that in the first half of this passage, the, the Lord's legacy is the, of the one that is primarily important. In verse 1, the servant is the one that is calling us to pay attention, to listen to him. In verse 3, God is going to be glorified through the servant. In verse 5, the servant is glorified before the Lord. In verse 7, the rulers of the earth, though they despised him initially, they are going to be the ones who bow down now before him. So, church, if you find yourself inward focused, focused on building or maintaining your own legacy, no matter how small, as a Christian, you are called to, to participate in something bigger, something greater than yourself. Today, as followers of the faithful servant, you are called to participate with him in building the legacy of the Lord. Part of escaping our own bondage and the things that consume us is by joining in a greater work. So how do we participate in that? Well, we continue the work of the faithful servant Jesus. Look back at our passage. Look in verse 9. In verse 10, we see that, that the faithful servant is involved in calling people out of darkness 
into light, calling people out of prison into freedom, bringing hungry and thirsty people to places to drink and easy paths for them to walk. Now I understand you guys have been working your way through the Gospel of John, normally on Sunday mornings. Think, think back to John. I don't know, I don't remember exactly where you, you've gotten to, but think back to how Jesus speaks about himself in the Gospel of John. What is he? He is the living water. He's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. When we trust in him, we become these things for people as we help carry them to others. And that's, that's very explicit in John as when, it, when he speaks about living water because Jesus tells us that when we drink from him as the living water, it's like we're a, a, a faucet, or like, like a, a pipe with a faucet coming off the end because we then, we're not the living water, but we can carry that living water to others. It speaks of the living water that flows out from us. As you invest your time and your money and your energy into each other as the church, and to those who are lost around you here and done and around the world, it's growing the legacy of the Lord. And it's worth taking the time to reflect on where the tension might be found in your life between wanting to create something for yourself here and wanting to build up the legacy of the faithful servant, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. But, there's a but in our passage today as we come to verse 14. We read, But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. And you, you may look at this and you say, what do you mean? Uh, we just have 13 verses speaking about how the Lord is working out His glorious plan to rescue His people, to bring salvation to His people into the world. How can you respond in this way? One of the wonderful things about the Bible is that it takes a very realistic look at the human condition, not just the human condition of our sin, but the human condition of, of our emotions and our, our very real responses to things. After all of this, after all of these promises, still we can say in our hearts and in our minds, I just don't know if I can believe that. And I don't know if that's been my experience. I know that for some of you, as I've spoken about, you know, sort of the, the uh, needing to, to check your own ambition and uh, needing to be careful about how you pursue your own legacy, that some of you have just been sitting there and feeling instead verse 14. You may be long past worrying about building something for yourself that's going to have like an impact in the world, and instead you're just feeling forgotten and forsaken by family, by friends, or even by God. The second hope in Isaiah 49 is for those who feel forgotten. Church, God hears you, and He sees you. In the first half of the chapter, we, we have this picture of the faithful servant as sort of like a military leader. He's a powerful rescuer, like a general leading his people out of slavery. But here, we're given a different picture in the second half of the chapter. 
As he speaks to people who worry, he's not a, a military officer telling them to, to fall in line. Keep up. Instead, he becomes a comforter. And the picture is of, a, of someone who is comforting a grieving mother. In verse 15, he comforts his people with these words, Yet I will not forget you. And then he gives us this amazing picture. He says in the beginning of verse 16 that his people are engraved on his palms so that he can keep them always before him. Uh, I don't know if you, you, you may have seen a, a picture of this, but in uh, sort of the very traditional Jewish practice, uh, they'll, they'll tie little wooden boxes uh, to their arms and, and even around their forehead. There'll be one that sits on the forehead. And inside those boxes is written, uh, words are written down from the Pentateuch, uh, words from the Lord. Um, these tiny little pieces of paper or parchment, those little tiny scrolls that are rolled up in there. And, and the idea is, to, is to, to be always keeping the Word of God before them. It's on their heads, before their minds and their eyes. It's, it's on their arms or, or kind of at their hands as they go out. That's the idea that's being communicated. That's sort of the, a symbolic picture of that. Well, here we see that, that our... our this is not something that we practice, but, the, but as Jewish people practice this, that it's actually a reflection of God. That this is how God acts towards His people. He is the one who keeps them always before them, engraved on the palms of His hand. <laughs> I don't know about you, but it is difficult not to immediately jump to Jesus standing before Thomas, who we know as the doubting disciple. And, and, you know, Thomas just, he can't believe this good news that Jesus has been truly raised from the dead because he sees it with his own eyes, touches the wounds. And so Jesus stands before him after his resurrection with his arms outstretched. And he says, feel, see, his people are engraved on his hands. Children of God, you are not forgotten by Him. It's one thing to know the truth. Often our, our experiences in life can make it hard to believe. We see that addressed here in Isaiah. You know, Israel as a whole, they're, they're pictured as a grieving mother who have, uh, whose children have been kidnapped or even killed. And then now she is barren and unable to have more children. To, to have lost children or to be unable to have them when you desire them. These are, are powerful and deep places of human grief that Isaiah is, is tapping into here. If you have experienced either of those things, you will feel that deeply. You'll know it intimately. We could turn to any number of places of hurt and loss in our lives that would bring about those similar feelings of despair and hopelessness. We find ourselves in, in periods of heartbreak, instability, conflict. We easily cry out, Lord, why have you forgotten me? Let's look at the picture that we're given instead, starting in verse 19. 
Though you were ruined and made desolate and your land laid waste, now you will be too small for your people, and those who devour you will be far away. The children born during your bereavement will yet say in your hearing, This place is too small for us. Give us more space to live in. Then you will say in your heart, Who bore me these? I was bereaved and barren. I was exiled and rejected. Who brought these up? I was left all alone with these. Where have they come from? I want us to notice two things in here. First, this is a picture of restoration, yes. But it's more than that. Remember what we noticed back in earlier in verse 6. It's not just restoration, it's also expansion. Not only is he restoring Israel, but when the mother wakes up and the house is now full of children, she says, like, okay, I, I, maybe I, I recognize you, I recognize you, but whose children are these? Like, where have all these children come from? That's the, what's being communicated in these verses. My house is chock full of children, and I don't know where they come from. Who brought them? God is expanding His salvation to the ends of the earth. Uh, slightly later we get that picture of the kings and queens of the nation are like carrying the children on their shoulders and on their hips. And they're bringing them back. They're bringing them in. The house is now full. In our grief, we regularly want God to simply take away our burdens, or to just simply restore the things that we've lost. But God is often working in ways that we cannot see and cannot understand, but He is creating opportunities for His glory to be seen even through our weaknesses and our brokenness. And this is modeled most fully by the faithful servant Jesus. As he experiences humiliation and death on a cross, the disciples thought that was defeat. They thought it was the end, but what they, they couldn't even comprehend the victory that he accomplished at the cross. The victory that we're reading about here. The victory that, that brings in the nations, not just saves them. The fulfillment of our passage this morning is Jesus, through his death and resurrection, offering a way of salvation to the entire world. This is why Paul echoes this promise of God in his own way in Romans as he's reflecting on his life and the trials and, and, and the things that he has faced, the pain and the suffering he has faced. He's able to say this, that... Because, God, because of how God has worked through Jesus, that he can be certain that all things work together for the good of those who believe in him. This world hurts. Right? We experience our own sin and the consequences of our own sin. And then we also experience the sin and the consequences of those around us it is as it impacts us. But Christian, in the midst of it, you are loved and God is still at work. Here, hear this. At the very least, when you are feeling those feelings of feeling forgotten, feeling insignificant, by sitting in this room today, you are the fulfillment 
of the prophecy that we are reading about this morning, at least in a small part. That the, the people who heard these promises, Israelites in captivity, hearing these promises for the first time, even though they, they, I imagine they could not imagine what it would look like, this is what they were waiting for. This is what they were hoping for. You, sitting here today, are a, a, a fulfillment of prophecy. Maybe 2,700 years ago. You're not insignificant. Doesn't matter what you have accomplished in this life. Doesn't matter if you built something great. You are a part of God's legacy. Your fulfillment of His prophecy. I want to uh, just close with, with this. Uh, referring back again to John. Uh, remember in, in John chapter 4, you guys looked at this earlier in the year. It's Jesus with the Samaritan woman, and she asks him a question. She says, who's right? Are we supposed to worship at the temple like you do, or are we supposed to worship on the mountain like we do? Well, Jesus tells her this. He says, we will worship in spirit and in truth. He says it's, it's not, it's, we are moving away from this idea that it's about, a, you have to be in a particular location to trust in Jesus, or to, to, to follow God, and to, to listen to Him, to obey Him, but rather we are going to worship in spirit and truth. But, God doesn't do away with the idea of temple. If you read through the New Testament with your eyes open for this, you're going to find over and over again the New Testament authors talk about this, talk about the temple. Peter, Paul, the author of Hebrews, they talk about how God is building his spiritual temple. And my favorite is in 1 Peter, because Peter uses this language. He says, you are living stones that God is using to build his temple. Living stones. You know how uh, sometimes they'll, they'll build a new building or a museum or something like that, and they'll... Uh, they'll chip people's names. You can pay some money and, and be, have your name on a brick, maybe a little phrase or, or a little remembrance of someone. And they, they end up building the building, and it's, and it's you know, a building that's made out of names of the people who made it possible. It's kind of the idea, but in a grand cosmic scale. God is building his temple not out of uh, a stone or a brick with, with just sort of your name chiseled on it, but it's you. You are there. Uh, just uh, imagine, this is speculation, this is imagination, but I want you just to, to, to picture this with me. I'm not saying this is what it will be like exactly, but just picture it with me. Christ Church done. You guys, you grow. Uh, you, you, you see people come to faith. You, you grow as a church. But 60, 70, 80 years later, the people that are sitting in this room will most likely all have passed away. What, what does it look like then for the, the impact that you have? Well, well now you've entered into this heavenly temple. You, Christ Church done. You're this corner. You're, as you enter the, the heavenly temple here on the, on the wall, look, that's, that's made of Christ Church done. And it's you. It's you connected. You're, you're sharing about God's faithfulness, how He has brought you together, knitted you together. And then you see someone new walks in. young person from somewhere else in the world 
Turns out, uh, a missionary that you supported brought the word to a people that hadn't heard it before, and they came to faith, and now as they are ushered into this, this kind of cosmic temple of God that, is, that the, 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 uh, the Bible looks ahead to, they point them out and say, look, look, that's Christ's church done. I know you. I know you. you. We're connected. We're being knit together, and they find their place as in, in a part of this building, and, and as you all are work together, it turns out to be this this beautiful building that God has put together as you will all are work together sharing in His faithfulness and the ways that He has worked. You're able to tell these stories, seeing how God's faithfulness has carried on, seeing how even in your pain and your circumstances, God has worked and has brought you together for His glory. First, that's what we celebrate today. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would knit this church together, that they would not see themselves just as individuals, but as a, a part of something greater, connected together here locally, but then also connected together to the rest of the world, the church that you are building around it. Father, would you challenge us where we need to be challenged, where we are pursuing our own ambitions rather than giving glory to you? Father, would you comfort those who need to be comforted, who are feeling lost and forgotten today? You offer hope to us, whether we are enslaved or whether we are hopeless. We thank you for that, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.